Welcome to Creatively Christian, a podcast by Theophany Media, where we inspire, inform, educate, and empower creative Christians of all types. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Hollingsworth. On today's episode, we get to share a fun conversation with Christie Award-winning fiction author, Misu Andrews. We chat about her writing process and her journey into becoming an author. She shares some great tips about having productive creative time and closes our episode by reading from her latest book. So stay tuned. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Creatively Christian. I am your host, Andrea Sandifer, and today I am joined by, I've got to read this here because I'm not an author, but she is. So this is Christy Award-winning author, Misu Andrews. And so right off the bat, Misu, for those that don't know, like me, what is a Christy Award-winning author? What does that mean? Uh, Christy Award, so... Christie was, I believe, the first Christian fiction, Christian novel that was written. Um, and hmm, honey, he's my Catherine husband. Cap- yes, Catherine Marshall. 40 years ago, was it? Right. Something, yeah. something like that. Oh, um, and it was just this amazing phenomenon that just began Christian fiction and a hunger for it. And I think he's going to get it off my shelf here in a minute. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. And so it became kind of a sign of excellence in Christian fiction. And um, yeah, so that it's kind of like the Emmys or the Grammy yeah. or whatever of Christian fiction. And they, at one of the, of the award things, they gave out this uh, uh, anniversary copy of the Christian novel. So how lovely. Well, congratulations on that. And uh, so to kind of tail onto that, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of where you live and and a bit about what you do. Well, it's kind of funny. The Christie um, story was written about the Appalachian Mountains and I live in the Appalachian Mountains now. Uh, First 40 years of my life or so, I lived in Indiana, flat, cornfields, all of that. And then we uh, moved out to the Portland, Oregon area for about 10 years and then across the country to the Appalachian Mountains and uh, love it here and beautiful country. We have two grown daughters and eight grandbabies and two wonderful Mm -hmm. sons and um, life is good and full and we love our little church and just writing. We stick in there and around all the edges and just, you know, put everything all in there together. And it's a busy, wonderful, full life that the Mm. Lord has given us. I love that. Yeah. My husband is just uh, retired about a year and a half ago. And so he helps me a ton with um, administrative stuff for the business. And um, we're doing this thing together. It's a joy. Good for you guys. So a team effort now. And uh, what part of the the mountains are you? What state are you in? We're in North Carolina. We're kind of up in the northwest corner near Boone. Um, Beautiful country. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Uh, I have a friend who lives near Charlotte. And uh, she uh, used to live up here in Alaska with me. And um, she, they actually, they love it. They love it down there. And I just, I think of how big of a contrast that must've been for her family to move okay. from here all the way down there. But, uh, yeah. so. and, and Charlotte's about mm, 10 degrees hotter than we are usually. So I bet. Uh, 
it's 77 today and we're you know we're sweating up here yes. in the mountains. So, you know, I mean, yep. we, we've never hit 90 so um it's gorgeous up here so that yeah. sounds glorious yeah, yeah. oh well very good i love how you said like that writing has to kind of fit into all the cracks and crevices i think that's the reality of a lot of our lives as creatives is you know we all have our our other normal things that take our time and we have to try to find a way to weave this in and uh, a lot of people say you make the time uh, for your creative pursuits and that's easier said than done i think sometimes so yeah and and you know even the this is this is my full-time job this is a career and and yet yet still it has to be shoved in around the cracks and crevices because as a creative when when life invades it's hard for people to say oh you're a writer good well let's have lunch <laughs> right <laughs> you have a real job you know that yeah. kind of thing. So um, we create it and, and a lot of times as creatives, we um, we don't have a set schedule or we try not to have a set schedule or we think we don't need a set schedule. Um, but I have found for my life, I do need a set schedule or I. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I would love to talk more about in a little bit, because I think that's that's maybe a piece that a lot of us are missing is kind of some structure to uh, our creative time. Um, so. Uh, but let's first, let's talk about how did God call you into writing? I would be, I would love to hear because I, I don't think it was something you've done for very, very long. No, I was but. a late bloomer on that for sure. Um, I started out speaking, actually, I was off the charts, extrovert, love, love, love people, uh, would much rather talk than sit down and read a book, quite frankly. And um, so I, I did lots of speaking. My husband, when he started ministry, I taught Bible study, women's stuff and adult discipleship and did a lot of traveling all over the country and uh, did conferences and retreats. And we did some things together for pastors and their wives. And um, so very, very busy. Um, and then in, in 2002, I ended up in bed for six months. And at that point, um, I, I have this real passion for God's word. And for six months, I couldn't get it out in teaching anybody. And so I had to get it out some way. And that was when I wrote my very first novel. Um, I had tried to write um, a kind of a hybrid Bible study novel thing and taken it to a uh, writer's conference in 2001 and was pretty uh, quickly convinced that I would never be a writer by, oh. a agents, by a couple of editors and an agent. And, and that was just an absolutely devastating um, experience. And so that thing went in the bottom drawer of a desk and mm -hmm. never again was I ever going to write. Um, and then it, here comes this illness in 2002 and I was in bed for six months. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. Um, you know, I was absolutely certain that I was dying. They weren't finding out what it was. I told my husband, we were going to start doing interviews from his next wife. Cause I wasn't going to have anybody raising my children, a little bit of a control issue there. But, 
So, uh, you were really sick. I, I, well, yeah, it was, it was really an odd thing. And so then I ended up at Mayo Clinic for a couple of weeks and they, you know, said, nah, I think it's this and this and this. And lo and behold, it was nothing life-threatening, but it is chronic. And so I've never fully recovered to the point where I could do that kind of a speaking schedule or where I could be that active again. And so I stay quiet a lot. And it means that I don't do a lot of extrovert things and I'm home a lot. I sit a lot. I, I rest a lot. And so, um, I write a lot and that's awesome because my books have reached more people than I ever, ever, ever dreamed and that I, than I ever could have speaking. So God has just such a much better plan than we ever, ever could. And though I loved speaking, I enjoyed it so much, um, the joy that I feel when I'm writing and when I'm researching for a book and when I see how scriptures fit together with the history that I research for a story and I get those aha moments. Oh Lord, this, these real people in your word connected with this nation and this really happened. This is recorded in history. This really happened. And that, that amazement and awe that I have is such, uh, is such a reward in and of itself. And then to have readers give me that same feedback. Oh, and I had to go to the Bible and see if that was really in there. Oh, Oh, that's my, that is my very favorite thing to hear from a reader. Oh, it sent me to God's word. Oh. Yes, that that makes all the deadlines worth it. All the deadlines. Absolutely. Uh, Misu, I think it's really, it's an interesting thing to consider that God allowed you to become sick. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't ever want to say caused you to be sick, Mm -hmm. but um, in order to maybe slow you down, to bring yes. you home and to set you about the work that he intended for you to do. Absolutely. And it's interesting also that, so the book that I took to that very first writer's conference was actually, <laughs> was actually a Bible study on Bible study slash novel on the song of Solomon. And, oh. and one of the, one of the editors said, I would not publish a Bible study on the Song of Solomon by Billy Graham, let alone a, a debut not debut author. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's strong language. <laughs> that strong. So uh, that was harsh, but um, and and so then that took me. So that was actually the second novel I had published, but it was the first novel I'd ever written. But it took me 12 years to write it because it started out as a Bible study nonfiction. And so to, to translate it into fiction took a good long time. So the, the first book that ever actually got published 
was the story of Job. Well, of course it was. <laughs> After I spent six months in bed, you bet it was. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say that that was relatable at that season. I, you know, I had to really work through, Lord, did you do this to me? I mean, mm. did I do this to me? Is there sin in my life? Is this punishment? Is, you know, Hebrew says endure hardship as discipline. Is this discipline? Have I done something? Is that, or is this, and, and I've, I came to the realization, whatever it is, you're going to use this for good because my God is good. Mm-hmm. And once I came to that realization that no matter whether it was discipline or whether it was, um, sin in my life that needed that discipline or whether it was simply testing as it had been for Job, no matter which I needed to live my life for him. And according to that purpose with that undaunted truth, God is good. Mm. And once that was settled, then that book, love amid the ashes, it just blossom. It was the, it was the first book I actually wrote from start to finish in, in less than 12 years <laughs> because <laughs> I had to have it done within the six month deadline for the first draft. I was terrified. I'd never written a novel that fast. And so, um, and, and that first book, it didn't get a Christie, but it got, it got, the ECPA debut novel of the year. And I had no idea how to write a novel when I started out. I mean, I didn't even know what POV was point of view. I I really, it was totally the Lord, which also showed me that this, whatever this career looked like, it was going to be his. Yeah. As it really, it really wasn't my idea. It wasn't your idea. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. And I think uh, that's really kind of cool to be able to rest in that reality that uh, this wasn't your idea. And, Mm -hmm. and I'd love to think that all the the success and the the great feedback you're getting from readers is just evidence of God's work Mm -hmm. in and through what you're doing. And it just, it's really, that's beautiful. So, and so you are primarily your your genre is biblical fiction is that right what what kind of drew you into that genre um honestly i i love scripture i love the bible um and i think part of that most of that maybe all of that is because when i when i grew up my mom was is charismatic my dad was a quaker whole um wow how did they connect I grew up where scripture was like the weapon used at dinner for battle. It was not good. And and by the time I was 16, I wanted nothing to do with God or the Bible or any of that religious stuff. And, um, and, and the Lord went to great lengths to get a hold of me. And, um, so the guy that, um, I, ended up marrying, uh, led me to the Lord mm-hmm. with Genesis three fifteen, not Mark, not John three sixteen, 
um, he was able to say to me, I'm not going to pick and choose a scripture and prove anything. I'm going to tell you that, that the Bible is a single story. It's a love letter from cover to cover, all from Jesus. And Jesus shows up in Genesis 3.15. And it's a love letter starting there. And it goes all the way to the end. And, and you're in that letter. Mm. And, and he showed me how that, that crimson thread of Jesus loves all the way through the Old Testament. And then takes me through that New Testament story and the testimony of the new church and the second coming in the revelation to John. And, and I'm, I'm there, I'm in it. It's, it's my, it's to me. And every story in that old Testament has the blood of Jesus woven in somewhere. And that's, that's why I've learned never to say never, but um, that's why my, I'm not just biblical fiction genre. I probably will focus on Old Testament mm. for as long as I can foresee, um, because so many people are terrified of the Old Testament. Um, they really see a God in the Old Testament as the God of wrath and the God in the New Testament as the God of love. And right, right push that old Testament away thinking it's, it's not relevant for them or that it's, you know, it, for Christians, we don't need that or whatever. And I, and I just don't think we can, can get all the yummy stuff in that new Testament in what Jesus did, unless we understand why he did it. And that comes from the Old Testament. So that's what my stories hopefully will bring out. That's why I want you to dig into scripture after you read it. And I think if I hadn't had that upbringing um, of, of hard, this is what this means. No, it doesn't because this verse says this and this verse says this. I wouldn't have studied so hard. I, mm. I can't stand to read something in scripture and not know what it means. I have to go and find out what does that mean? I, you know, confusion when I read scripture is just not an option. So, yeah, my Bible study leader, uh, as she was teaching me how to lead, uh, she would, her phrase is, you know, whenever you come up against a question in scripture, she's like, that's good. Stick that in your pocket, hang on to it. I'm like, but I want to know now. And so it's, I've, I've, I've kept quite a few questions in my pocket over the years. And it's one of the hardest things to do is be okay with not having an answer right away. <laughs> I mean, if, if we could understand God, we would make a little image of him and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Pocket, but he, yeah. I, he's, he's bigger than us. He's, he's, uh, he's enough that we can let him be mysterious. Mm. Amen yeah. to that. Yep. I love that. Uh, I've, I think that's another phrase I've said to people is if we could put God in a box, he wouldn't be worth worshiping. Like, right. yeah, it's just that, that same idea that, um, he, it, and I love, yes, his story is woven, uh, just beautifully throughout the whole Bible. And, and that was something I've learned as a Bible study leader was just how to point people to, the full range of scripture in whatever we're reading. And it's, it's yeah. really fun. It's very fun to do. So, 
Well, great. Let's see. Um, and this was actually, I was just at a lunch with a friend and she, I told her I was going to get to talk to you today. And she said, ask her how she approaches her stories. Like, how do you pick a character and how do you research and how do you dig into like scripture and, 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 you know, stay as true as you can to the text, you know, but yeah, what have you found is your, your really like go-to resources as you're starting a story? Well, how do I pick my characters? I, so biblical fiction, you know, it sounds like it, it would just be a simple thing. You, you just write about a Bible story, right? But there's so many different ways to write about a Bible story. So I love to write about women who you may not have, you may not know their name. They're kind of in the shadow of a famous man. So, um, Job's wife, um, she doesn't even have a name, uh, the shepherdess in song of Solomon. I wrote about Gomer, uh, Hosea's wife. Okay. Um, I wrote, you know, so I like these women that maybe my most recent book is about Potiphar's wife. Well, she doesn't have a name in scripture, but the Quran names her. Hmm. So history sometimes names these characters and actually um, Jewish literature names Job's wife, Sidus, and tells us that she was, um, she was a descendant of uh, Ishmael. So some of the historical books, they're not sacred. So they're not scripture. I don't consider them truth but they are historical fact. Now I say fact because (laughs) she's air quoting everybody that's not watching. (laughs) So when I say fact, when we get that far back in history, our historians, they oftentimes don't agree. And so I have to read really broadly in, Mm. in the historical research so that in that in all that these scholars say, I can find maybe a golden thread that sort of fits with what I see in scripture's truth. Mm. So for me, in my process, I have three layers in a story. I have the very foundation, which is biblical truth. And that I never, never, never change. So with the Song of Solomon, it was so confusing to me. I mean, oh my goodness. I read that, had no idea what any of it meant. And I went, even if you read a different version, a different Bible version, it, 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 (laughs) and it attributes different verses to different speakers. So like there are three speakers in it, the lover, the beloved, and the friends in NIV, that's who they're called. But in another version, it may be the man who says something instead of the woman Mm -hmm. in a certain, so it's like, "Ah!" (laughs) and, and so I, you know, where do you go with that? as far as what, and I'm, I don't know Hebrew. I don't know the original language. So I'm, I, the Lord had me read 
And I finally had to stick with just the NIV version, Hmm. 1984 version, because the 2000 version is different. So just the 1984 version, I read all eight chapters of the Song of Solomon every day for a year before I started writing Love's Sacred Song. And if the Bible in the different English versions is so different. Can you imagine how different the commentaries are? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just it. So I stopped reading the commentaries and I just asked the Lord, you give me the story. You tell me what that means. You tell me why he thinks she's in Lebanon when she's in Shunem. Why, why is that? Why would, does he not know she's, of course he knows she's in Shunem. He just went to Shunem. He's in Shunem. Why is he saying she's in Lebanon? I know this is poetry and I'm not a poet, but surely he's got a GPS. You know what? (laughs) So, so, you know, so, uh, so those three layers, I've got truth on the bottom. That's my foundation. Second layer, historical fact. Remember what I said, the, the scholars, oh my goodness, they do love to argue. And it is so annoying when you're trying to <laughs> figure out how to make a story out of it. But like I said, I, I try to read widely enough that I find a golden thread that's going to fit with and make a good solid story with the truth of scripture. And then third, third layer is the Christian creative fiction that is the mortar that holds those building blocks onto that foundation of truth. That's what color eyes did everybody have? And, you know, who wore what kind of clothing and what, what exactly did their shoes look like? Well, we have an idea of it from history, but not exactly. So um, all of those things for world building that, you know, novelists do, that's, those are the three layers. I love it. That's my really favorite, good. My favorite, favorite um, resource is, is the Jewish study Bible. It's oh. just got fantastic. You know, like our regular study Bibles in IV, ESV have those little notes down at the bottom for each verse. Jewish study Bible, exactly the same thing. And it's just rabbis that do it. Oh, it's that's neat. It's fantastic. I love it. Oh, that's really cool. I've never heard of somebody using one of those. And I, that makes so much sense. You know, that history, that historical foundation that they, you know, they're such good, um, keepers of history, uh, that culture. So that would make so much sense. Uh, wonderful. That's a great, great tip, uh, for anybody kind of wanting to, you know, give their stories a good uh, historical foundation. That's wonderful. It really is. It, it, it's, it's simple. It's just a single resource that it really can give you a very broad spectrum of um, just an overview, very much like our NIV or ESV or, you know, any of the other study Bibles do. Very cool. Uh, Well, speaking of resources, do you have um, any resources that you would recommend to anybody that's wanting to grow in their, just the craft of storytelling um, and uh, creative writing? You know, um, 
I have, I have tried to, I have tried writing or reading several, um, and, and there are three that I keep going back to, and I don't, I don't go back and look at, you know, each page or, but the concepts from them, uh, one is, uh, James Scott Bell has written one it's called writing. I think it's called writing from the middle. Um, that one, the concept in that is that in this, in the very middle of a book or even a movie, and you can, you can test this, you can go to a movie and any DVD movie streaming, whatever, go to the very middle of it and look at the scene in the very middle. And at that scene, your main character will make a decision. They will come to an understanding of who they are as a person or they will make a decision about their, um, their circumstance, whatever the main circumstance is that they're facing. And at that point, they will begin to move in a different direction, either better or worse. And so Jim's um, concept from writing from the middle is you start at that midpoint, what, what decision you want that character to make, and you go from there out with your writing now i don't do that but <laughs> i recommend that book but i don't do that <laughs> and that concept is a great concept but i do measure when i get to the middle i want to make sure that my characters have made that decision and then we go downhill from there because i'm i'm very much what they call a pantser i write by the seat of my pants <laughs> Yeah. Now that's hard to do with biblical fiction because you start out with kind of a skeleton. You know, yeah. when I when I start out with Job, we all know that he's gonna do fine until the friends start talking. Then he's gonna have a long, long suffering time. Then he's gonna get better. We all know that, right? You know, spoiler at the end. Yeah. But so you, you start out with some kind of skeleton, but there's a whole lot of pants in that can go on in there. You know, I can do a whole lot of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, it, yeah. and, and so there's, here's the second, uh, really good, um, resource that I really love that lends more toward pantsers and it's called the emotional craft of fiction. Mm. Um, that one is, oh dear, his name just left me. I had it and then it left. Um, mm -mm. that's okay. We'll look it up for everybody. Look, look that one up. Cause that guy's got some, he wrote the, the breakout novel. He's an, he's a fantastic agent, New York agent. Uh, he's written lots of craft books and I think pretty much every single craft book he's written y'all need to read. So uh, he's very, very good. And I've heard him speak several times. He's fantastic. So, um, and then, um, the third one that I just, uh, read the story equation and that's by Susan May Warren. And that one I just read about six months ago and it's got some really good, again, since I'm a pantser, uh, it, mm, I didn't follow it completely, but it had some really good concepts that helped me in this last book. So craft books are hard for me because I'm not a plotter, but it does, they do help me some. So 
That's fun. Uh, we always love to share some uh, like tips and resources with our audience because I think a lot of us uh, that listen in are we're just kind of dabbling in things or we're we're trying to get our feet wet in something and grow. Um, yeah. Yeah, so this is it's really fun to be able to kind of hear from hear what works for everybody and um, kind of try it out because like, yeah. you know, you never know, there could be something absolutely. in a book that is just absolutely um, craft changing and that would be great. So, um, and it so being a, a pantser, which I love that phrase, I've never heard that before. That's going to be what my new phrase. Um, I, I, th- I think that's my writing style too, is kind of by the seat of my pants. I love it. So, um, it's a hybrid We're, Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, yeah. but your writing times that you, you do have to fit it into the cracks and crevices of life, but do you have like a set schedule that you try to adhere to and do you have a specific place in your house that you like to write and kind of the environment? How, how do you tell your husband it's time to write and uh, everybody leave me alone? What, what does this look like for you? You know, I'm at the point in life, you know, I'm a gray hair, I'm a Q-tip. So I, I don't have the normal, like most, you know, I don't have kids ankle biters and curtain cloth. I don't have those. Uh, I, I do actually have two grandkids that live upstairs. We live in the basement of our younger daughter's house. And so we are so blessed. And um, so our, we have two grandbabies upstairs and uh, two dogs in the house. And, you know, so it, it's a busy household. Uh, but Grammy does have the downstairs pretty much. And Grampy's not very noisy anyway. So we're, we're pretty <laughs> quiet around here. Um, I get up early. I get up at six thirty, seven o'clock coffee's made by seven. I'm usually devotions are done and I'm writing no later than eight o'clock. Um, I try to have all of my email done, social media done by nine and try to be writing by nine. Um, and then I, I'm writing or editing um, at least until five. And sometimes if, if I'm on deadline, sometimes until nine or 10. So I, I do long, long days when I'm on a big project. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, that's a schedule that pretty much goes five or six days a week for me. Wow. Um, but that's because I've, I've had some pretty heavy projects for the last three or four years. So, but I'm, I'm getting ready to kind of ease up a little bit. I've got more help. My husband's retired, so he's going to be able to help with some things. And so I think my schedule is going to get a little easier. Um, Mondays are admin day for me. So I do my, I do two newsletters a month and a blog post. Um, so my newsletter comes out the first Monday and third Monday, my blogs come out and they're public on the second Monday of each month. And, um, for the last mm, two years, I was also doing a short story on Patreon the fourth Monday every month. That was why we were doing 14 and 16 hour days. And I, yeah, I, I quit that last month (laughs) because that was just too much. It was too much. So, 
Um, but that backlog of short stories, we're going to be able to put together in some compilations and sell those on Amazon now. So those will be coming out at some point. And, um, you know, the Lord never wastes anything, you know, the, the things that the things we go through, the things that the devotionals that I wrote 20 years ago, hubby's going to edit those and spruce those up and we're going to get those out. So, um, don't ever throw anything away, whatever you write, you know what, keep it because you never know. And when the publishing door opens for you, whether that is a traditional house or whether that is a self-publishing path, um, you, you really don't know when the Lord is going to, you know, tap you on the shoulder and say, it's time for that other project that you put away. So, um, yeah, 12 That's years later, it was time for Song of Solomon. That's, that's really good advice to not, yeah. not scrap anything, like not, uh, not get rid of anything. I think sometimes I, I hang on to too much, but maybe I never know if, Hey, I think I've written a melody that might go good with this. And I never put words to it and go recycle it or, uh, Hey, I never finished that song and it has a similar theme to what's on my heart now that, that kind of work. I've seen that come about a couple times and, then I feel less foolish for hanging on to it for 10, yeah. 20 years. So, um, but yeah, very cool. Very cool. Uh, I love how you said that Mondays were like your admin day. So having like a, a day of focus on all those tedious things that may, you know, if you tried to do a little bit of that every day, it might eat too much into your creative time. Yeah. Those are left brain. And, and what I'm finding is if I, if I break, my right brain creative, even during my Tuesday through Saturday, um, editing or first draft creative or whatever creative part of me is happening. If, if I even break that for just a quick check on my email or whatever, it takes me 10 or 15 minutes, or now that I'm Q-tip, it's taking even longer to get back into that creative right brain. And so if I can scooch all of my left brain stuff, or at least most of it, the, the biggest part of it into Monday um, or one day. And I got that idea from Susan May Warren. Actually, I, I heard her speak at a ACFW um, conference years ago. And, and she, uh, the reason that she did all her admin work on a Monday was because she could only get internet if she went to a coffee shop and she only did that once a week. And I thought, Oh, glory be. If I only had internet one day a week, how much more work would I get done? Right. Oh my goodness. Right. Uh, maybe we should all turn it off six days a week. <laughs> something, Right. Wow. Um, but that's, and, and actually what I do, I, so those other six days a week, I turn my work, uh, what is it? My focus. So I have a Mac. So on my Mac, it has a focus setting on it where it blocks out my notices and I don't get any notices except from, are you ready? 
my editor and my two daughters and my husband. That's all I get notices from on those six days for the 12 to 14 hours while I'm working. And that's, that's it. That's and awesome. so it doesn't cut me off from, from internet. Cause I have to have that for my research, but, um, it, it does keep that left brain from going to check email or going to, you know, play cards. <laughs> that was just an admission of guilt right there. I just bleh, right there. Right there. You're forgiven. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> oh, we all have the things that when our brain wants to check out that we do. Uh, yeah. long and then it's, you know, that's yeah, it's funny. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, that's, those are great tips. And I think for any of us that, especially if we have a day job that, you know, we, we have to, the nine to five or something that keeps us busy during the day, our creative time is that much more limited. And, you know, um, so having tips that we can maybe try to help focus our time, that's really helpful. Just things that have worked for you. And that's very good. Um, so you touched on it a little bit earlier, and I love these kind of questions for any creative that puts their work out into the world. What kind of responses you've gotten um, from your writing? Uh, has anything surprised you or blessed you um, from what you've heard back from your readers? Yes, um, all of the above. Yes. Uh, it, it's and and you know it is way way the majority blessing. It, mm -hmm. it is it is such, such a blessing. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to exaggerate. Um, but I would, I would guess I get probably, I don't know, maybe two to three, um, encouraging emails a week mm. saying, and it, you know, it, it could be the current book. It may be from the first book. Um, but just, and, and most of them are, I read your book and it, I never saw that in scripture and it sent me back to God's word. Oh. And, and I have to say to, so <laughs> I, I was not a willing fiction writer. Uh, I, I never read my first novel until I was 30 years old. I mean, I was, I got through high school with a 4.0 and never read a novel. I read the first of it. I read the last of the books. I made up the middle and <laughs> an A. I, I have to tell you. So I, I, I couldn't sit still long enough to read a book. I was mm. an extrovert. I loved people and I was not going to sit still long enough to read a book, let alone write a book. Right. So, um, <laughs> no. And so speaking was what I thought I was meant to do. Mm -hmm. And so when, the, when I, I, nobody was more surprised than me that I was going to be writing books. And seriously, when I wrote my first book, I got an email from my English, my high school English teacher. And she said, wow, I didn't know you could do this. <laughs> you certainly didn't do it in my class. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So, um, it, but it was just, it was one of those things that, you know, the encouragement and, and people are so surprised when I write back and say, 
thank you. I needed that encouragement this morning. I'm doing edits and your encouragement was just what I needed to hear today. And they're like, oh, well, okay, thank. I never, I never thought about that, <laughs> but it is, it's encouraging to have someone write those things. And, and I do get the occasional, you know, you have no idea what you're talking about. But, but you know what, that's okay. And here's, here's the other thing. I get some who, who are very upset that I've taken a certain stand on. Okay. For instance, um, I got one very soon after my first book came out and I was a brand new author and this person was like, how dare you say that the Leviathan in, in Job was um, a crocodile and not a dinosaur? And I said, well, first of all, I called crying to my editor and said, what do I do? And, and she said, well, don't, don't even acknowledge it. And well, that felt icky. I, I needed to acknowledge it because I'm also like an over the top people pleaser, which is really a bad thing, but, and I've gotten better about that. But what I have learned through the years and what I did with this person is I thank them. I thank them for their zeal for God's word, because that's, and I said, that's what I have. I have a zeal for God's word. And I do tons of research. And here, let me, can you hear my dog snoring? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I can, but that's awesome. (laughs) Okay. He's waking up the dog because he's snoring. Anyway, um, so he, I, I said, you know, here's the research that I did. Here's why I, why I went with this interpretation. There are both interpretations out there. And the reason I chose this one because was because I wanted to be the least uh, interruptive with the narrative. And I thought writing crocodile would get the least um, raised eyebrows from readers. But if this offended you, I apologize. But I want you to understand it's not because I was ignorant of the other possibility. It was a choice I made because I felt it was the Lord's leading. And I got a very, very nice response. And any of those kind of letters that I've gotten from people or emails or, or contact forms or whatever, I, I can only remember one or two that I've gotten any response, a second response to, and those I don't usually respond to. If, if they are coming back at me with another argument that I'm not going to please them. So but even the ones that come back again, I've only gotten one or two that have wanted to argue anymore. I mean, it really, if, if I meet them with a humble heart and I'm not defensive and I really try to explain how the Lord 
led me in that, then they really are, are willing to hear it. So that's, that's really great advice for handling criticism. Um, in, in any uh, creative work, you know, because I think we're all going to potentially come up against uh, the critics that uh, have something to say about what we're doing. And I think just, yeah, like you said, meeting them with a humble heart and trying to show them maybe a bit of why you did what you did or why you created what you created. And um, mm -hmm. especially if we are seeking to do this with the Lord and yeah. uh follow his lead you know if if we can't respect that in each other i think there's something broken in our in our um in our grumpiness if we're being grumpy with each other so uh very good to see if to to see their heart in it and if if they're coming at it with uh with a i want to demean you that's mm -hmm. a whole different thing but i mean if if they're coming at it with a a real zeal for the Lord. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's applaud, you know, yeah. let's, let's encourage that. So, yeah, absolutely. That's good. Good advice. Um, so I know you're, you're still writing. So what upcoming project are you most excited about? Well, I'm almost done with the edits on, uh, the sequel for Potiphar's wife, which is going to be, uh, called in feast or famine. And that is when Joseph gets out of prison and he marries Asnath. Oh. So it's Joseph and Asnath's story. And the fun thing about that one that I did not know until I started researching this, um, and that is their story is actually one of the oldest historical novels, short stories, actually fiction in history hmm. and it was written somewhere between 400 bc and 400 a.d and it started out um as a they they believe it started out as a jewish fiction and then the christians got a hold of it <laughs> and turned it into uh, you know, they added some things about, you know, bread and wine and, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, some, some imagery of, of Christ and some of those things, but the, the, the theme of it was, um, the first convert to Judaism because Aznath, her two sons were included in the tribes of Israel and, mm. That's a big deal. Yeah. So woman would have been the first quote foreigner end quote to be included in Abraham's blessing. Mm. That's a big deal. So that's kind of the theme. That's kind of one of the themes I'll say um, to this book. And so it has been a joy to get to get to know this um, Egyptian lady that was blessed and yeah, got to get her little boys in on that promise. I, That's I, wonderful. I fall in love with her. Yeah. In feast or famine, mm -hmm. when when it, what is the timeline of that book? That one will be May twenty third of twenty three. Oh, very cool. Oh, that'll be fun to look forward to. 
Um, great. And we, we will definitely be connecting everybody with you and your books. And what is the best way to, uh, for everybody to get connected with you online? Um, my website is the best way. It's misu, M-E-S-U, Andrews at, or dot com. Just, just dot com. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, just as an aside, because I'm really curious and I love names. Your first oh, yeah. name is beautiful and I'm so curious about it. So <laughs> it is it is just a nickname. Oh, yes. Okay. My real name is big and long and hard to say. My mom is also very creative. She's she had a beautiful voice, took opera lessons and just gorgeous voice. Um, and she named her name is Mary. Um, my dad's name was Charlie. They named their first daughter Charla Sue after dad. Named me Marilla Sue after mom. Okay. After being 14 years older than I took the easy nickname Susie. What do you what nickname do you get out of Marilla Sue for crying out loud? <laughs> I love it. It just, it, I tried to say, and they came out me Sue, And so that's what stuck. I love it. That's, that's really cool. Uh, I love that, that your, your parents were creative with the names that, that, that kind of makes me chuckle, especially when their names are so simple. (laughs) I know. I think that's why they wanted, yeah, they wanted, yeah, fun, big names for their kids. Oh, that's very fun. Well, very cool. Well, we look forward to getting everybody connected. Uh, so everybody through the show notes, you'll be able to find Misu there. And um, Misu is going to read for us um, after I pray for her here to close us out. So everybody stick around and make sure you just stick around for story time with Misu. I love this. So um, so Misu, I would love to pray for you and your upcoming project and thank God for our time together. So let's go to prayer. Right. Oh, Father God, thank you for this time to get to know Misu and to hear about how you've called her into the good work that you have her doing for your kingdom. Thank you for the stories that are on her heart to share and for her love of scripture, Lord, um, to point people to your word, uh, to quicken in them a desire to dig into your story and to hear from you and to uh, grow deeper in relationship with you. Um, Thank you for gifting her in the ways that you have. And thank you even for calling her to slow down in the way that you have so that she could write these stories. Um, It's a hard thing when we're called to walk through hard things in life, Lord. You're not a stranger to that. And um, thank you that you walk with us, that you're our, our shepherd, our king, and that we can trust you and know that you're good. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just thank you for that reminder from Misu today. Um, Lord, bless her work, bless her time in her writing and her editing. Um, may this new book um, be just a wonderful blessing and flourishing Uh, in her continued creative life. And may it bless your people for your glory, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, Misu, what are you going to be reading for us today? Well, so today I'm going to read for you the the current 
the our current my current release so the newest one this one came out may 23rd of this year potiphar's wife very good okay we all know who she is right yes <laughs> yeah so um her name is zuleika and she is a historical figure i have made her a princess of the isle of crete that's where she's from and it starts this way the sea was choppy angry spitting its salty mist on my lips my stomach growled anxious to sample whatever delicacies our minoan sailors brought home from their eight-month trading season a group of ships passed at a safe distance from Zachros's sturdy key. I could barely make out their flags, but the wind eased, revealing the leaping bull, Gnosis flags, the largest of Crete's districts, my husband's fleet. The oarsman's progress was painfully slow, the wind too strong to hoist a sail. The steersman leaned into the wind, guiding the vessel with one arm on the large oar while holding the raised stern with the other. Hundreds gathered on the sandy shore beside the quay, but crashing waves drowned conversation. Children clung to their materas's skirts as their sand creations succumbed to the frothy sea. I reached for the ivory figurine tucked inside my belt and rolled the mother goddess over and over in my hand, remembering how the earth had trembled the day before had we somehow angered our island creator, the giver of life? Had the sailors given insufficient offerings during their journey? Sacred mother, my husband is so close to home now. Protect him from the wrath of other gods. Keep him safe until my duties in Zakros are complete and I can go to him. Matera pulled me into a sideways hug. Don't worry, my girl. Always remember that Minoan sailors are the best in the world. You'll see Minus as soon as you finish the ledger work for this year's cargo. Duty before pleasure, my girl. I'd heard the same mantra since I was a child. Sums before painting, mopping before pottery, reading before sculpting. I loved Minus more than my art, but I no longer needed coaxing to protect Zachros district. Duty is my pleasure, Matera. I hurried to the quay and noticed a scuffle near Matera. A palace servant had slapped my childhood friend. Leave me alone, Gaius. Pfft. He dismissed her with a flip of his hand. Don't be so sensitive, Atonia, he called as she ran from him. Lover spat, I teased when I reached him. Something like that, though he was slender and barely taller than me. Women seemed to flock to him. His impish grin was likely part of the reason. Other women on this island are much friendlier. My street urchin friend had an arrogance born of resolve. When we reached Matera, a sea breeze made me shiver. Gaios removed his cloak and placed it around my shoulders. The dove I sent yesterday returned, princess. The message read, Zakros hooked giant fish. Gnosis eats tuna. It said giant fish, I clarified, not whale. Yes, princess. I applauded the triumphant report. Matera was always frustrated by our code. Speak plainly, Gaios. 
Forgive me, my queen, he bowed. King Rehor must have signed a trade agreement with Egypt's giant king. That is good news, she shouted. Commotion at the quay stole our attention. Family rushed toward our sailors, and Matera suddenly lifted her hem and darted in the same direction. My blood ran cold. I'd never seen Queen Daria run. Come, Gaios, I followed Matera, pulling him with me, too afraid to face my fear about Minus alone. Minus was not among the sailors. Thank you so much for listening today. To see the resources mentioned in today's episode, head over to theophanymedia.com forward slash Misu. Creatively Christian is a product of Theophany Media. You can find out more at theophanymedia.com. This show is hosted by Brandon Hollingsworth, Andrea Sandifer, Dave Ebert, and Rachel Oxborough. Our logo is by Bill Brooks. Bill Brooks and Andrea Sandifer did our music. And Jake Doberins produces and edits the show.